Oh, morning, everybody. It's great to see the room uh, getting, getting fuller and fuller each week, so it's, it's lovely to see everybody here. There was a, an article uh, printed in uh, the Chicago Daily News 50, 60, maybe even 70 years ago now, and it was entitled, Love Working Miracles for the Mentally Ill in Kansas. And the article centered on uh, the amazing success of a, of a state hospital in Kansas, where they were bringing in uh, patients who were suffer suffering with mental illness. And then they were able to return eight out of 10 of those patients to useful, productive lives outside of the hospital. People from across the country wanted to know how it was that without any of the uh, electric shock therapy, or surgery, or counseling, or drugs, or any of the conventional treatments, this had been achieved. It was a single word that the article zoomed in on. Love. Love. Dr. Carl Menninger, who was the, uh, the psychiatrist who was leading the team, said this, the doctor doesn't cure by any specific treatment in the case of, of these mentally ill patients. You cure by atmosphere, by attitude, by sympathetic understanding on the part of everyone in the hospital. He went on to say, by our words and deeds at the hospital, we must gently persuade them that society is worth coming back to. There is none of the professional staff jealousy that poisons so many institutions. Everyone is on the team. The hospital attendant's opinion is as readily considered as a nurse's or social worker's. Everyone is on the team. Everyone working together. And we've seen, haven't we, as we've looked through Romans, that we are all one body on the same team working for God. And now Paul is going to tell us how we should love one another and love how, and how we should love people as we go out into the world and talk to them about Jesus as well. So this morning we're going to think about how, as Christians, we should show our love to each other, just as the people who were working in that mental illness unit showed love to their patients. How do we put love into action for each other? How do we look, put love into action for the wider world? How do we love as a picture of how God loved us and loves us? And what happens when that love isn't reciprocated? What happens when we face those difficulties? How should we love then? And just before we, we jump into Romans chapter 12 and the verses that Jason read for us, there's three quick points of context that I wanna, want to note. First of all, from Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, I just want to remind you quickly who Paul is writing this letter to. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. He's writing to a group. He's writing to a church. Just as we're a church, sat here this morning, not just to one individual person. So he's telling them how to love as a church and how to love the outside world as well. So it's not just to an individual. 
The second thing I want to quickly notice is back in verses 2 and 3 of Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. We're going to see in these verses that our minds need to be renewed so that we can put love into action, so that we can love each other and we can love outside of here as well in this way that God is calling us to and that Paul is writing about. But we need that grace as well so that our minds can be transformed. And we talk about grace often, don't we? But why did we need it? I was reading a book by Tim Chester recently called Delighting in the Trinity, and he writes about going to church every Sunday morning and a character that he saw on the way. And it's just a reminder to me of why we need, why we need that grace and why we need our minds to be transformed by God. We used to live a couple of doors away from someone who worshipped his car. Every Sunday morning, as we set out to walk to the gathering of our church, we would see him kneeling to wash the wheels with a toothbrush. As we joined others in worshipping God, he was prostrate before his God. Career, income, financial security, our house, our hobby, we can give our lives to all these things. Our hearts are idol-making factories. And even as God has begun to transform us, our hearts are still going to be idol-making factories. We're going to get this wrong. We're going to get this love wrong as we show it to each other. It's going to be messy occasionally. And so we need to remember that we also need, we need grace when we do get things wrong, when we sin. And we're going to need to show other people grace as well. Because, just the final point of context here, Paul's looking ahead. Paul's looking ahead. Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, which ends this, this block. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We're all on that journey together, aren't we? And so there are going to be times when we still need that grace from God and that grace from each other that Paul's talking about in the last verses because we are going to fail in how we love each other. There are going to be times when we get it wrong. So it's just to paint some of the picture of where Paul's at in Romans as we start to look at these verses, just so that we get, we get that picture and we, we understand how these verses fit into it. So let's look together then at Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 to 21. And Paul starts here with a slightly odd statement, doesn't he? Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Which might make you want to say, well, how can love be, be ungenuine? How can love be false or fake? So the, we might need to think about some of the other translations of that verse. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere is another way of translating that verse. And so we can think about 
well, maybe, maybe there are people who we, we kind of think about loving, or maybe we show some love to, but it's not as sincere as it might be. Also, you can translate that verse as let love not be hypocritical. Again, kind of think, well, how can you, how can you love hypocritically? But that's the, that's the kind of force of what Paul's writing. And he's thinking about the stage. He's thinking about actors on the stage. And he's saying, don't act at love. Don't play act at love. Be genuine in what you're doing. So even if you, even if you pretend to love somebody here, or you pretend to love the whole of the church, with all of the special effects of a Hollywood blockbuster, you're wrong. Your love must be sincere or genuine. John Piper wrote this on this verse. We hide our own flaws, sometimes even from ourselves, by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that ours don't show up so clearly. So we can, we can hide behind a facade of love and then point out the flaws of other people's. But when the push comes to shove, we'll be find out will be found out. And Paul then goes on to say, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now we could, we could then read all the, rest of the ver- all the rest of the verses here as some kind of do-good checklist that we can tick off. Because by doing these things, we're going to be doing good and abhorring evil and holding fast to what is good and abhorring evil. But that's not what, what Paul is writing about here. That's not what he's asking us to do. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis wrote uh, a poem, a very short poem called An Epitaph. And what Paul is saying is, don't be like this character that C.S. Lewis wrote about. Erected by her sorrowing brothers, in memory of Martha Clay, here lies one who lived for others. Now she has peace, and so have they. It's not about going around being a do-gooder and and pestering everybody. That's not how we show love. So how are we? How are we to show love to each other? Well, it is by by doing these things, but not as a a list of doing good, not as as Martha Clay in in that poem. But these are marks of a genuine sincere love. These are, these are kind of the kinds of things that that sincere, genuine love shows. And it's a sincere, genuine love that leads us first for each other, that leads us first to serve God and then to each other, serve each other, without any hidden agenda. And it leads us to treat each other and those out in the, in the wider world in the right manner. So even if you can't remember anything else from this morning, tomorrow, this evening, remember, love each other sincerely, genuinely, not hypocritically. Love each other genuinely. So let's look at what some of these marks of, of this genuine, sincere love are. The first one is, brotherly affection in verse 10. So saying, 
as with, as with your brother or your sister, love with that kind of affection. Now, that might not always be such a good example for you. One generation back in, in my family, there were two brothers who just didn't, didn't get on at all. And they, they didn't show that kind of affection to each other. My own brother and I, we, we don't have a hugely affectionate relationship. But we do, we understand, don't we, what that kind of brotherly, sisterly, familial, family affection should be like. And this is a family that we're called into. As we've seen in Romans chapter 8, it's a family that we're called into together as Christians. And as being part of that family, this love is how we're, this is how we're called to love each other as a part of that family. Christopher Ashe, who's a, a, a British um, teacher on the Bible, says this in, in his book about, about these verses. Church is a supernatural filled fellowship of people unlike us, people unlike us, bound together in a zealous family love in union with Christ. Is that how you love the people who are around you here this morning? Do you have that, that zealous love for them? And then how do you go about acting on it? How do you show that love to each other? How, do, how does Chris or Will or Justin know that I love them in the church this morning? How do other people around you know that they love you and care for them as a Christian brother or sister? So let's think of some of the other marks that we see that Paul writes about. We're to honor each other, Paul says, by showing respect for each other, by treating each other as significant. We're to love each other enthusiastically, with zeal, with the Holy Spirit bubbling over and channeling into our service of the Lord and our service of each other. We're to be patient with each other. It's not always easy, is it? Especially if, uh, especially if you've not had enough sleep or you've, you've had a trying time. It's not easy to be patient. And then we're to show sympathy or empathy with each other. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. John Stott said this on, on that verse. Love is not aloof from others' joys and pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, suffers with them. And Christopher Ashe pointed out that when you truly belong to a group, a family like this one, its successes are my successes, its disappointments are my disappointments. And so even when the joy is something that maybe we wanted for ourselves but goes to somebody else, Maybe it's a, a new job for somebody when, when you don't have a job. Maybe it's a marriage in the church when you're single. Maybe it's a new baby coming along when you can't have children. We're still to share in those joys, however hard it is for us. Or when it's a pain that we don't want to bear ourselves. 
a parting, a separation that somebody, somebody goes through. We're to bear some of that pain with them. A bereavement. We're to bear some of that pain too as we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Again, we can't do this if we're proud, thinking back to the opening verses of, of chapter 12. If we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought, we're not going to love like this. And Paul calls us not to be wise in our own sight as, as, we, as we love as well. And again, if we're thinking of ourselves proudly, thinking of ourselves highly, then maybe our own counsel is the one that we look to keep. But that's not how we show discernment or sober judgment. There's a call to humility here and a call to the humility that we should show before God and the humility we should show before each, other's, before each other. Not being confident in our own strength, not being confident in, in us making our own way to our salvation, but being confident in the grace shown to us by Jesus and by God, and that giving us confidence to love each other like this. Now, that's all great, and I think, brilliant. That's, that's how we're going to love each other. But I wanted to come back to two of the things that Paul says quickly before we look at the, the final verses and think about how we can do some of this practically as well. The first thing that Paul says is to pray for each other and be united in prayer and constant in prayer. So I wanted to ask you, how often do you take time to pray with somebody who's sitting in this room? Because I don't do it often enough. And I certainly don't do it constantly, which is what Paul says to do here. And then, what, then when you do pray with somebody, what do you pray with them about? Maybe we should be giving thanks for times of joy so that we can be rejoicing with each other as we rejoice. Praying about the weeping that is coming about, the struggle under pressure. And how do we pray for each other to become more Christ-like as well? Do we do that? Do we ask each other what we're struggling with and how we can help each other and how God can help that person to become more like Jesus. Let's go deeper as we pray with each other. And if you want something to pray for me this afternoon or this evening, then pray that I will learn the lesson of the verses that we're going to look at in a few minutes about loving those people who are not showing us love back and are making life hard for us. So let's pray together and let's make those prayer times deeper so that we can really show this love in action to each other. And then there's another thing that Paul calls us to, and it's hospitality. And he says, pursue hospitality. Seek hospitality. The verse, the, the word he uses is almost persecute hospitality. It's that, it's that kind of really go after it. Go and get it. Go and do it. And it reminded me 
of John's third letter towards the end of the Bible. And actually, hospitality kind of forms one of his points, uh, what he's talking about in, in that letter. Gaius, who John writes to, is commended by John for showing hospitality to, um, to evangelists who are going into the area where Gaius lives and to, to work with the church that Gaius is a member of. And while, while John commends Gaius for showing this hospitality, he condemns another character, Diotrephus, because he's not showing hospitality and he's trying to put out anybody who is showing this hospitality from the church. Hospitality was an early church tradition. People who were traveling around from church to church stayed within the local church so they didn't have to stay at an expensive or disreputable inn. And what happened was a stranger, an outsider, became a guest in the house of a church member. So it, it shows us that the hospitality that's being talked about here isn't about entertaining our friends or our family. It's not that kind of personal, individualistic hospitality. It's a sacrificial love for somebody else, inviting them in to our own home, inviting a stranger or an outsider, almost, to be a guest in our house. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 and 16 say this, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some of you have entertained angels unawares. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So we're called to show that kind of hospitality to each other as well. So let's look for the opportunities to pray for each other and to show that kind of hospitality to each other, acting in that brotherly love for each other. So you might notice that I, I missed out verse 14 as we were going there, and then there's still 17 to 21 to go as well. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Because you could read these verses and you could go, oh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a switch here. Paul's telling us how to love each other and then how to love people outside who, who aren't loving us in the same way. But he hangs that verse 14 right in the middle of his instructions about what sincere love looks like. And I think there's a reason for that, and I think it's because we still need that grace, don't we? We talked about it right at the beginning. We're still going to need some of that grace because we haven't, we haven't yet become perfect. We haven't yet got to heaven. And so this is intertwined. We will fail each other. I will fail you. And I'm going to need you to love me like this. And there might be times when I need to love you like this too. So, we look to love each other. We're going to have to love each other like that because there's going to be times when we're going to let each other down. But also, there's going to be times when we're persecuted outside as well. And so our love is not just for in here, it's for, it's for out there too. Not, as in one of Rudyard Kipling's poems, 
Father, mother, and me, sister and auntie say, all the people like us are we, and everyone else is they. We're not to have that kind of view. We've still got to, we've still got to love as we go outside. And so as our love for each other as a church grows under grace within our church family, within our church fellowship, it's going to naturally overflow towards those who are outside our church fellowship as well. And there's going to be times that we face opposition as we do that. So then, how are we to love when it goes wrong? How are you to love the person who makes snide remarks about you on the playground or wherever it is you are? How am I to love the person who sends an email at nine o'clock on Monday morning that overshadows the rest of the working week? How am I to love the person whose actions at work I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking about? Because we instinctively think of ways that we're going to hit back. We think of ways we're going to hit back verbally. We think of ways we're going to hit back maybe physically. We think it over and we think of ways we're going to hit back strategically. And that's not what Paul says we should be doing. That's not how Paul tells us here we should be loving. He says, serve, not retaliate. Do not curse, but bless. Do not repay evil for evil, but do what is right. Paul asks us to live in the right manner, doing good in the eyes of all, of everyone. And if we fall back on our instinctive ways of hitting back verbally, physically, strategically, we're falling back to that position where we needed grace. And we're not putting love into action. We're not going to be pointing people to Christ. John Stott, as he was writing about these verses, said, see that your public behavior is beyond criticism. So that's the force of what Paul is writing about. And that is really hard, isn't it? Living at peace with everyone, where possible. Taking the initiative to live at peace with everyone, where it's possible. So that our public behavior is beyond criticism. Now, of course, Paul's saying, there's going to be times when this isn't possible. There's going to be times where we can't. So he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you, because it is going to depend on both parties to live at peace. And Paul says, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. Leave room for God to act, for God to repay, for God to avenge where we do not take revenge. 
course, we could go back to the Sermon on the Mount to look for uh, reiteration of this, couldn't we? Where Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 to, uh, to turn the other cheek. And Jesus puts it into practice himself in John 18. Jesus is struck in the face by the, an official of the high priest. And he doesn't hit him back. And he doesn't seek to immediately take revenge. Jesus just asks the question, why? Why is it that he's struck in the face? To the point that even as he is on the cross, Jesus can pray, Father, forgive to those who have persecuted him to death. We're to serve the people who persecute us like that. To feed them, to give them something to drink, Paul says. And then there's this very strange phrase about heaping burning coals onto them. Heaping burning coals onto their heads. And there's no agreement, really, as to what, what that means. It, it is an Old Testament symbol of judgment, but it could also be a symbol of, of shame and remorse that's experienced by those people who are persecuting us, but we serve. So following this rebuke of loving kindness, of us putting love into action, they feel shame and remorse. Some also think that it's a, an ancient symbol of, of penitence, of feeling sorrow and regret. So again, by by showing loving kindness, by serving, by feeding them, by, by giving them something to drink, by not taking revenge. They feel sorrow and regret for their actions. But we don't really know. But Paul then goes on to say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we mustn't get distracted by the burning coals because this is where he's going with these verses. That actually, by not cursing, by not repaying evil for evil, by not taking revenge, we are not overcome by evil. We practice those counterparts to evil first and we overcome evil with good, by grace. And again, we, we have to love sincerely to respond like this. We can't be going back to verse 9. We can't be being hypocritical and insincere in our love if we're going to act like that, if we're going to respond with this kind of grace. Now, I want to notice very quickly before, before we start to wrap up that there is a very fine line here between loving and loving in action and enabling people to carry on sinning. And that's a very fine line. And, and we are to love, but we shouldn't be continuing to enable people to sin as well, particularly if it's, if it's inside the church and there's ways in which we can, we can work together through that. It also remains that there is a place for proper judgment and justice in the here and now. We're going to see that in chapter 13. 
So there is God-given ways in which justice can happen rightly here and now. But we are not to seek vengeful retribution as by, the grace, as by grace our hearts and minds are transformed. Sincere love is not about getting even. It's about overcoming evil with good. Now again, it's all very well standing here and, and saying all of that. But this is hard and it's difficult. And sometimes when we're in those situations where we feel like we're being persecuted, where there is somebody who we're trying to love like this, and we don't see where God is in the situation. How can we respond? How can we, how can we do this when it's that hard and that difficult? Peter Maiden, who until recently, well, he, he died uh, last year, and then before that he was um, one of the, the head people in Operation Mobilization, he wrote a book called Radical Gratitude. And in one of the chapters of that book, he wrote some words that I've found really helpful when I've been facing a situation like this. Where I need something to hang on to so that I can pray into that situation and ask God to help me in that situation. And he, Peter Maiden, in his book, points us to Habakkuk, the story of Habakkuk, the prophet, in the Old Testament. In chapter 1 and verse 2 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk calls out, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Here is a prophet, Peter Maiden writes, a man of God in utter confusion, he looks around his world and does not understand what God is doing or what he is not doing. But Habakkuk's prophecy ends with joy and assurance. How? How does that happen? I'm just, I thought I had the verse there, but I don't. Sorry. Just very quickly see if I can find that. So how does that happen? How does, the, how does Habakkuk change his, his view of his situation. I'm just going to read from Habakkuk 3, verses 16 to 18. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Habakkuk, Peter Maiden writes, develops a habit of praise and thanks to God even in the most extreme circumstances. God remains unchanged, 
Habakkuk's salvation is as secure as ever. A great secret for Habakkuk and a great secret for us when times are hard is the patient waiting, the quiet trust, and the long look. Smiles may well be beyond you. If so, hang on to your experience of God, the biblical revelation of God, and the certainty of his word. And I found myself that looking for ways to give thanks to God, to rejoice in the Lord, as Habakkuk did there, just to find something to give thanks to God for is a great way of helping me to wait patiently in these kinds of situations. To trust him. And to begin to have that long look towards heaven as we wait on God and hang on. And hang on together as a church. What is love? It's silence when your words would hurt. It's patient when your neighbor's curt. It's deafness when a scandal flows. It's thoughtfulness for others' woes. It's promptness when stern duty calls. It's courage when misfortune falls. Now, maybe we don't agree with every single one of those stanzas in that little poem, but it does give us a flavor of what, of what love is. John Piper said, love forgets itself and looks to Christ and overflows with joy in him to meet the needs of others. So let us look to Christ for everything we need. Our sincere love for each other here and our sincere love for people outside, even when times are hard, even when we fail each other, even when we're being persecuted, our sincere love put into action is a picture of what God is like. And by loving like that inside the church and outside the church community, we reflect him. We reflect him to each other and to those who don't yet know him. Let's pray. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Father God, as we thank you for these verses, we thank you for, we thank you for the picture of, of sincere love for each other that, that Paul gives us there. Lord, help us, help us to take joy and rejoice in your love for us and the grace that you've shown us, the grace that you showed us through the cross of Jesus. And Lord, help us to live sincere, loving lives for each other, picturing your love for us, Jesus' love for us, so that we we not only see ourselves grow close to you, Lord, but we see others from outside come to know you as well.